just real briefly, I want to share a, um, a friend of mine, Michael Fabrizio, is here. Uh, Michael serves pizza at Papa Joe's restaurant. And uh, see, we all, everybody loves Papa Joe's. And um, so we were talking, you know, about the gospel and stuff. And so he listened to one of our messages on, online about hidden righteousness. And um, it touched him, and he, he wrote a song about it. So I said, come sing the song before in the class. So he wrote a song about the message, Hidden Righteousness. And those are the lyrics that you uh, have there that he wrote. I just think it's so cool. It's just really neat. So anyway, uh, his mom and dad are here in the back. And your grandmother, right? And grandmother and uh, some friends. Anyway, Michael's such a real, he's a, a neat brother, just incredible blessing. And uh, Papa Joe's lucky to have him. He should give you a raise. <laughs> if you ever need to order any pizza, Michael will bring it to you. Go for it, bud.
you guys very much for having me. Thanks to James, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Mike. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. You're welcome. Awesome. Wasn't that awesome? Absolutely not. So cool. We are really in a place where I think in church history we've talked about before where um, some awesome things are happening in uh, the opening up of the gospel and the the mystery of Christ. And um, it was prophesied that um, in the latter years, in the latter days, that we would understand things that have been kept secret or been hidden for generations. And I think that's part of the latter rain that was also prophesied to happen toward the end of time or the outpouring or a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit toward the end of time, um, which would coincide with the the thoughts that there would be a great harvest at the end of time also. So it's all coming together. You have the revelation that's opening up. You have a, an outpouring of the Spirit, and you have a harvest all happening at the same time um, as we approach, I think, the end of this age. Nobody knows the day or the time, but you can certainly look out in the world today and, and see that there are a lot of problems that, uh, that are really getting worse and worse, it seems. And that gives me hope because actually I don't really get down because I know the scripture doesn't teach that we're going to change the world and we're going to bring in the kingdom of heaven by our preaching and our teaching. It actually says that things will get worse and worse, but among the people of God, you'll shine brighter and brighter and there'll be a contrast. Um, As Isaiah said, arise and shine for your light has come. And the believers will shine brighter and brighter in their love for God and love for each other in contrast to the gross darkness, the scripture says, that will cover the earth. So arise and shine, for your light has come. For gross darkness shall cover the earth. And it will be a clear contrast of those who love and those who don't love, those who believe and those who don't believe. And, and so it's, and the Lord says, when you see these things happening, it will be, the earth will be like a woman about to give birth. In labor pains, you'll have uh, increase in, of earthquakes. Um, even a, a reference to the even a reference to tsunamis. Jesus mentioned that the waves roaring and men's hearts failing them for fear for the for the waves of the ocean roaring. It's a reference to tsunamis, tidal waves. The Lord saw all these things. The, the earth itself would be as a woman about to give birth. And of course, we know it, by by documentation that earthquakes have increased more and more in the last generations as they've recorded the earthquakes, just like labor pains, you know, increasing it. Um, and there's problems with, you know, as the Lord said, there'll be famines and pestilences and all these things. But when we see these things, he said, rejoice, look up, for your redemption draws near. I'm glad he told us all this stuff because, you know, otherwise we'd say, what's happening? So he told us all these things. This is part of just the a fallen world that's falling apart. And um, it's also part of, I think, the groaning of creation that, that groans to see the manifestation of the sons of God and the, the end of, the, of this old creation and, and the beginning of a new, a new heavens and a new earth. Awesome. So, as Revelation begins to open up more and more for us, this Clark's book is one of those things that I think can help so many people see the simplicity of Christ and, and uh, what was accomplished when Jesus came. Um, we really are being moved by the Spirit from an earthly mentality to a heavenly mentality. One of the, one of the awesome things about the book of Hebrews, I'm, I'm praying about doing a verse-by-verse teaching on the book of Hebrews. Would you like that? Yes. 
Awesome. Because we did Galatians, you know, it took us like, what, 10 years to do that. Yeah, yeah. Hebrews may take us to the end of the world. Yeah, Jason uh, in here uh, texted me. He said, you know, Hebrews is almost like a, an expanded version of Galatians. And I thought, you know, that's really true. I never really thought about it like that. But Hebrews is really like an expanded um, version of Galatians. You know, it takes, really takes the two covenants and especially the priesthood and talks about the new priesthood and what that means for the, the new covenant believer. So, so we might do that because I tell you, Hebrews is rich. Hebrews, I believe, has a message in it, more than one actually, but there's, a, there's a messages in the book of Hebrews that have, that have been largely kept hidden from the body of Christ for a long time. Largely, it's just treasure hidden there. Not that God hid it on purpose, it's just there, but because of our legalistic, religious mindset, we, we don't see it. We don't believe it. I mean, we, don't, we can barely believe the words on the page because it is astounding what Hebrews is saying. It literally is talking about moving you and I from an earthly realm, from the copies of the heavenlies, from the copies of the heavenlies, from the pattern of the heavenlies, to the heavenly things themselves now. That's, it's rich. That's why the writer would say, because of all this, now let us now, 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 now go boldly into the holy of holies. Let us now come boldly to the throne of grace. Heaven has come within us. We can hardly take it in. Heaven has come. As the, as the scripture says, the Son of God entered into heaven itself. That cubicle of the Holy of Holies, a perfect cube, was a picture of heaven itself. The high priest went in there once a year, just a picture, just a pattern, just a copy. But this high priest went into heaven itself with one sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time, to bring heaven to us. To us, inside of us, heaven inside of us. Anyway, so I just feel like um, Hebrews has got a lot of rich, rich things in it that, um, with the covenant, with the priesthood, and so forth, that I think would be awesome. So, thanks for praying with me about that. So, since we don't have a whole lot of time this morning, um, I thought I'd just take some questions about. We've been talking about the two covenants in here, and Clark also about not mixing the two covenants. So. This morning, I'd like to just take, if there's a question about the two covenants or mixing the two covenants or a question about the law and grace, um, I'd like to take a question or two and, and we'll do that and uh, wrap it up for this morning. Did you say you were going to start Hebrews next week? I'm not sure. It probably won't be next week, but you know what I think, what I'm thinking about doing is, is uh, asking Clark if he would mind if I announced it to the church. So those who want to get in on the study from day one, they can decide to come in and you know day one. So when I pick the right time, I'll I'll probably do that, and because that'd be great to come in from day one and start you know verse by verse about Hebrews. Hebrews is so rich. I just love the whole concept of the the copies of the heavenly things have been replaced now by the heavenly things themselves. Do you realize, I'll just say this real quick, do you realize that believers who think that they need to have forgiveness of their sins on a daily basis are living in the copy? They're living in the copy of the heavenly reality. 
See, under the old covenant, there was a continual forgiveness of sins daily, uh, sacrifices daily, cleansing daily. It's the copy. It's the religion. It's, it's religion. But the finished work of Christ, the scripture says he's a high priest that does not have to offer up himself often or offer up for sins often, but once for all sins, for all people, for all time, he offered himself up and cleansed us all who believe that we might enter into that heavenly reality, seated with him in heavenly places, finished with him. So now when we sin as believers in a new covenant, we don't seek further cleansing or further forgiveness. We simply thank, thank him. We thank him that he doesn't count our sins against us anymore. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. In this new covenant, I'll remember your sins no more. For I'll be merciful to all your iniquities. A new covenant, a new priesthood, a new and living way of approaching the throne without fear, boldly coming to a throne of grace, not judgment, to find help and mercy in time of need. A whole different mindset. So now we just thank the Lord that for his goodness. We remember him, not our sins. It's a whole different, it's a reversal. Old covenant, it's all about remembering sin. New covenant, all about remembering him who died for us, who shed his blood for us for the remission of all sin. We remember what he did, his one act of death, never to die again. Now he ever lives, and we do also in him. It's awesome. Yeah, Ken? That's interesting. That, I hadn't really thought about using that phrase common in, in that regard, but it could, it could very well be. Yes? That's interesting, yeah. And the judgment day is, was the day on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross. That was when Jesus went to the cross. He said, he said now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. So that's a very good point. If you don't see the cross as, as your judgment... Well, I think what I think what we what we believe here is that judgment has already taken place on the cross for everybody, the whole world. And then when a person believes, then that faith, that personal faith in Christ himself at that moment when they first believe, 
That's when they pass through judgment. We don't believe here that there's going to be different judgments of different people in different levels. And exactly, that's exactly right. So it's in a sense it is different judgments for different people at different times, but only because of faith, because in time and space they believe. In, in time and space they believe, and at that moment they believe. That's when the Spirit comes because. Through their faith, they passed through the judgment that already occurred on the cross with Christ. That's exactly right. But it's, but it's not like a levels of judgment. It's, it's everybody. Yeah, everyone has their, their own time where they find faith and believe. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. So some believe, some don't believe. Those who don't believe are still in their sins when they die. And they didn't, since they didn't pass through the judgment on the cross, then they will stand before God and give an account for all their sins. But those who believe pass through judgment, as Jesus said, he who believes on me has already passed through judgment and has entered into life and shall never die again. But that's a, it's a good point you bring up about judgment because that was one of the keys that really helped me see the gospel, the finality of the gospel. Because you very seldom heard Teachers or preachers talk about the cross being the judgment of the world or judgment for the person who believed. You always kind of looked at it as almost like a, it was the work of Christ to forgive us of our sins, but that work had to continue, much like the Roman Catholic Mass, you know, that the sacrifice of Christ over and over and over again to cleanse and cleanse again and again and again. But the truth is, it was the judgment of the world. And once you believe, you pass through judgment into life now, not after you die. As Jesus said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life, which is awesome. But getting back to what Kim was saying about the common, the blood being common, that could be a reference to that. He was really, I think the writer was also saying that they were, they were counting the blood of the Son of God as a common thing. Not so much the daily forgiveness thing, but they were just looking at the whole work of the Messiah as not really the way you are reconciled to God. The, the Jewish people were going back to the sacrifices of bulls and lambs and goats and that kind of thing. But this is a powerful... Um, what, speaking of judgment also, this is, a, this is a scripture that is almost always misinterpreted. Speaking of judgment, speaking of the, the blood of Christ, in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, who wants to read verse 26, 27, and 28 for me? Hebrews chapter 9, 26, 27, and 28. Hebrews chapter 9, 20, 26, 27, 28. Okay. Yes. Um, awesome. Now, the, the phrase that's most always misinterpreted, mis, mistaught, is the phrase that says, It is appointed unto men to die once, and afterward the judgment. And then, then comes judgment. And they stop there. They don't read the next verse. Because what the writer is actually saying here is that all of us are appointed to die once, 
and face the judgment. It's an appointment that every human being has. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying in the very next verse, and the verse before this verse, is that Jesus came to take my appointment. He took my appointment with death and judgment. So that even though everybody's been appointed to die once and face the judgment, Christ also, so Christ also died once, took that one death for me, for all people, and took it upon himself, the sin of the world, sacrificing himself. So he took my death and my judgment for my sin. So that the next verse he says, And this Christ who is offered once to bear the sins of the many or the, or the multitude shall appear a second time. Now the second time he comes, it will not be to take away sin. Look, it says he'll come the second time for salvation without reference to sin for those who eagerly await him. So his first coming was to, he was manifested, the scripture says that his first coming was primarily to put away sin, to take it away by the sacrifice of himself, to take my appointment with death and judgment. And then the second time he comes, notice they are eagerly awaiting him. There's no judgment seat of Christ for the believer to judge your works. We've had teachings on that before. That's, that's not a correct teaching. There's no judgment seat of Christ to judge your works as a believer. There is Christ coming. You are eagerly awaiting him. The bride eagerly awaits him. And can't wait. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Because he took all our sin upon himself when he died. Isn't that awesome? And you hear this usually at funerals, you know, where we know it's appointed unto man once to die and after the judgment. And, you know, and they don't read the next verse, which is full of joy. Like, and he took my appointment. As Jesus said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. Yes, the, the death of the death. No, well, you mean in, in Hebrews here? No, this this is talking about dying. Everybody's physical death. So, physical death. Everybody's appointed to die once and face the judgment. The only exception to that is those who remain at, at his coming will be changed in the, in the twinkling of an eye. Paul says there will be a small exception to that when people come, they won't have to go through physical death. But no, this is talking about physical death because we're already all, already are spiritually dead. We're already dead spiritually when we come to the world. But everybody is going to die once physically, except for those who remain at his coming, and face the judgment unless you've already died and already faced the judgment. And so when you believe on Jesus, you have already died, which is exactly what he taught, and you've already faced the judgment, which is exactly what he taught and Paul taught and all the apostles taught. So you live the rest of your life really on earth as a resurrected person who has already passed through death and judgment because of Christ. Seated with him in heavenly places, joined to him, one with him, as he is, so are you in the world. As righteous as he is, you are righteous, as a gift. He who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. This is a phrase, I'm telling you, this is a phrase, this is a scripture that is so mistaught in the church. That man is appointed once to die and afterwards the judgment. Well, the next verse says, so also, in the same way, Christ died once. There's your one appointment with death. Bearing the sins of the many or the multitude. And he shall come a second time without regard to sin because he, had t- he has taken that away. But regard, with regard to salvation or, or deliverance to those who eagerly await him. Those who have believed eagerly await him without fear. Without fear whatsoever. Isn't that awesome? So next time you hear that verse, if you hear someone quote it, say, can you read the next verse? <laughs> Yeah. 
part of the sentence and saying, oh, this is our whole belief system. It's insanity. That's exactly right. I mean, there's, it, it's, it is. It's a comma. It's, yeah, it's not even the end of a sentence. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, finish reading. Because this, this is awesome good news. I mean, he's, he's saying that the Messiah came. He was manifested to take away sin and take away our judgment um, once for all time. And now we can eagerly await him without fear of judgment because he took it for us. It's awesome. Powerful. And then he goes right into chapter 10. I want to read a few verses in chapter 10 real quick. Chapter 10. This, could, this continues on the same thought. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Once again, you see the law is a shadow of the good thing to come. The, the law had a shadow. Those who, those who live their lives thinking they have to have their sins forgiven, believers now, who think they have to have their sins forgiven or be cleansed on a daily basis, live in the shadow of the copy of the heavenly things. The shadow, not the substance. Just the shadow. Religion has you live in the shadows of always trying to get better, trying to make it, trying to be there, trying to find a place of rest. But the work of Christ brings you out of the shadows into the substance, out of the copy into the heavenly things themselves, that we rest in Him. Awesome. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins. A continual offering of, sin, of sacrifices means that they are not made perfect. They're not cleansed. They have to have the sacrifice done over and over again. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Remember the, the awesome revelation that John the Baptist had. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't just cover it. That was the revelation. And you know why I, I believe, I think I've already said this before, but you know why they said John the Baptist was, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived? Greatest man born of a woman? Though he did no miracle, the scripture says John the Baptist did no miracle or no sign, yet Jesus called him the greatest man who ever lived who was born of a woman. The reason why he said that, I believe, is because it's not the messenger that's great in God's eyes. It's the message. He was the only one on the face of the planet. He was the first one and the only one who could look into the eyes of the Messiah himself and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He who was slain before the foundation of the world of which all the prophets spoke. He's here. John is the greatest in the eyes of the Lord because of the message he had. And you and I have been made adequate ministers of a new covenant. You and I are great in the Lord's eyes because of your message. Isn't that awesome? And the reason why he said, and they who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John who is born of a woman is because even the least in the kingdom of heaven who may be immature, maybe not know a lot about the things of the spirit because they're just young in the, in the faith, they're greater than John because they're not born of a woman. They're not of the natural birth. So even John, the best, the best there was, a born of a woman who had the message is yet still not as great as you who are not born of a woman in the natural but born from above whose mother is New Jerusalem above, spiritually 
with the message of the Christ. You are like, whoa! You see it? Made adequate ministers of this awesome good news, born not of the earth, but from heaven itself. From heaven. From heaven. Where you're from. That's why you're even greater than John the Baptist, because he was born of a woman. He was not born again like you and I are. For that could not happen. Regeneration could not take place until Jesus offered himself and descended, took the souls out of Hades and went forth in resurrection. Only then could regeneration take place on the earth, which is why they descended. Because had they been regenerated before Christ, they would have been in heaven. And, of course, Jesus said, no man has ever gone to heaven except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. So Jesus is the first man to be in heaven. He must have preeminence in all things. And now we can go to heaven. Now it's absent from the body, present with the Lord when we die. Kevin and I were talking about that. Now when you die as a believer, it's immediate presence with the Lord. There's no soul sleep, as some people teach. There's no soul sleep. God says, I'm not the God of the dead, nor are the sleeping. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're quite, they're quite alive, quite awake. That's why Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They're quite awake. There's no soul sleep. But we will not have our immortal body until he comes a second time. Even those spirits that went up from the Sheol and Hades don't have their immortal body yet. Because the immortal body is connected to the new earth. That is given when this earth is destroyed and the new earth and new heavens are formed. That's when we'll have a new body. But then, but now... We, those who die go immediately to be in the presence of God. Yes? A lot of people, just like what you're talking about, don't understand what it says that we'll make a new earth, a new heaven, a new earth. Won't have a sun, no one will have a moon. A lot of people don't understand that. That's also creating and locking up, you know, what I'm calling the devil or Satan or whatever. In the bottomless pit and lake of fire. What it is, it's the collapse of the sun, collapsing, flipping inside out, which is a black hole. Which we live in dark space, black space, will flip the space inside out and it will make it light space. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I would say. That's good. I love the imagination of how to describe what it's going to be like, how God's going to do it, because the prophet the prophets saw the stars as if they fell from the sky. That could be the black hole where it's just sucked into that black hole. I mean who knows how God's going to do it. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, it's going to, be, it's going to blow our minds, whatever, however. It's, we're going to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> Let me wrap this real, real quick. I just want to finish this. Um, Therefore, well, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Think about this, saints. God takes no pleasure in this daily forgiveness stuff. It's not just the bulls and goats and stuff. It's the, it's the covering stuff. See, it's not, just, it's not just he doesn't take pleasure in bulls and goats. He doesn't take pleasure in the fact that you have to always be cleansed all the time. God takes no pleasure in that. And as a believer, God takes no pleasure in a mindset that says, I've got to constantly seek his forgiveness, constantly seek cleansing. He takes no pleasure in that because he did something far greater. And it doesn't honor the work of Christ for us to constantly think he has to do it over and over again. Isn't that awesome? All right, look at this. 
In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Verse 7, then I said, the Christ said, behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. In other words, in the scriptures of the prophets it is written, written of me. To do thy will, O God. We had a teaching a while back on what is the will of God. It's, it's awesome. Verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first, meaning the law, the covenant of law, in order to establish the second, the new covenant of grace. By this will, the will of the Father to offer the Son, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's His will. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't want anything between us and Him. He doesn't want this thing about all this hazy, gray feeling of, am I, can I go into His presence? Is he, is there, am I in fellowship? Am I out of fellowship? That's bogus. There's not a single scripture in the New Testament that speaks about a believer being in fellowship and out of fellowship with God. Not a single one. And yet you would think it's like, oh yeah, it's everywhere because everybody teaches it. Not a single scripture teaches that the believer is in, in fellowship and out of fellowship with God because of their sin. The question I have is, if you're in fellowship based on the blood of Christ and not your own obedience, then why, you, why do you say you're out of fellowship because of your sin? It's not even logical. It's not even logical. We boast in a fellowship with God, not based on what we have done, but what he has done. And it's more than just fellowship. It's a union. I mean, we are, in, we are one with him. Bone of his bone. Flesh of his flesh. Seated with him in heavenly places. He our body. I mean, uh, he our head. We his body. A branch on a vine. One. Paul says, I know this mystery is great, but like a husband and a wife, we have become one with Christ. Because of what he did. Not because of our obedience. Not because of our righteousness. Not because of our good works. Not because of our good deeds. So you can never be out of fellowship with one who has brought you into fellowship with himself based on his death. It never was based on our performance. And so how can you be out of fellowship? It's a, it's a false teaching. It's, a, it's, it's what Jesus referred to when the Pharisees would have teachings. And they would have teachings. One of the teachings they had was, was this. Like, um, okay, you don't have to take care of your mother and your father if you give money to the temple. If you give money to the temple, then... You're relieved from that, that law that says you have to take care of your mother and your father and God will bless you and the priest will look after your mom and dad when they can. But just give the money to the temple and you're relieved from taking care of your mom and dad. They had teachings like that because the Pharisees loved money. The scripture says that. Jesus said of that, he said, you have made void the word of God by your tradition. They made void the law under the old covenant of honoring your, mo your mother and your father by this tradition of getting, getting money to the temple and then relieving them of having to do anything with taking care of their mom and dad. And Jesus came down to that. You have, by your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Even so today, churches, traditional teaching about this cleansing on a daily basis through confession of sin and getting right with God again and again and again and staying right with God by confessing your sin is a tradition, not scriptural. It's a misinterpretation of that one verse, 1 John 1, 9. It's a, total, it's a total religious tradition that makes void what God is saying here. He takes no pleasure in this covering daily. I take no pleasure in that. I have sent him in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God, by one sacrifice, by one offering. He has forever sanctified those who believe him. 
forever. That's his will. That's his joy. That's his desire. And so when we see this more and more clearly, we're going to say, wow, how do we miss this? Okay, just let me just wrap it up. This is so cool. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily. Look at this. Every priest under the old covenant stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who were sanctified forever. It's interesting that they, the scripture mentions that until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. It's, in made, it's made in reference to the finished work of Christ. In other words, there will be those who will consider his blood common or they will not receive this finished work. God sees those as enemies of the cross. Paul says they're enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly. What Paul means by that is that they've got all these dietary rules and laws. You don't eat this. You can't eat pork. You can't eat that. He goes, Paul says their God is their belly. That's not the truth. We're free from all the laws and made righteous by faith in Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ who mind earthly things, Paul said, and not heavenly things. Who live in the shadow of the copy. Who live in the shadow of the pattern of the heavenly reality. As opposed to seeing that he has ripped the veil. That the shadow has given way to the substance. That the copy has given way to the reality. To the real. Let's hold that, hold that question. I'm going to go ahead and finish here because we've got to get going. But isn't this awesome? God is so good. Lord, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much for the reality of who you are and who we are in you. Lord, I pray that we would have such an awesome day today and as we launch Clark's book and just encourage him and encourage people to get the book and read it. Lord, I pray that we'll see more and more as the, the days come and the months go by of this awesome reality. The heavens have come to us. A door has been opened that no man can shut. We can go in and out and find pasture now as new creations, as the resurrected ones who have already passed through death and judgment, sons and daughters of the living God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, bearing fruit because we're joined to him who is raised from the dead. Father, I pray a blessing on my brothers and sisters. I pray that we would remember to encourage each other. Remember to comfort each other. Everybody's fighting a battle somewhere. Every one of us is fighting some battle. Help us to remember that everybody is in some kind of battle in this fallen world. Help us to encourage each other. In Jesus' name. Amen.